our natural state. This pure awareness. And absolute purity of mind and heart. And thus a state of love-filled joy. But we are only in that state if we are in the real self. And the problem for human consciousness is that a false self has intervened to disconnect our consciousness from the real self. And so we must learn to recognize the real self. And it's easy to do because the real self differs from the false self in one essential way. The real self is non-arising. Any self that arises as an object as a sense of being a body in the world, as having emotions, intentions, agendas, and relations in duality with others, is the false self. The real self is non-arising, and from the perspective of the false self, then, the real self does not exist, because it doesn't arise. It's unborn, it's unmanifest. And yet what the real self knows is that it's that which arises that does not really exist, is not real because it's fleeting, it's impermanent, it's in constant change, and it's constantly fragmented. Different emotions, different attitudes, different thoughts, contradictory, conflicting feeling and cognition states. Whereas the real self that's non-arising is eternal, unchanging, immutable, untouched by the chaos of the false self. And so we need two kinds of practice. One, when we sit for meditation, we practice, which is an intense practice of not doing anything but very intensely to do nothing at all. To just let your being be. Not to fight with thoughts. There's no need to fight with a false self because it's unreal in the first place. But a constant recognition of that unreality. Never buying into the unreality of the false self that will try to lure you and seduce you with its jouissance of anger or guilt, or depression, or anxiety, or whatever else it wants to get you involved in. And then that practice has to continue when we get up from meditation. And the primary virtue which we have to learn is the virtue of being unconsiderate. 
That doesn't mean inconsiderate. But unconsiderate is separate from both being considerate and inconsiderate. The problem that most souls have who come here is not being too inconsiderate to others. It's not, I don't care what anybody thinks and I'll hurt them and I'll say whatever. No, it's the opposite. It's that they're too considerate of others. And in order not to make others feel bad, they'll hide their real self. They're taught in childhood not to stand out, not to look too good, not to be too virtuous, not to be too radiant, not to be too loving, not to be too great. And that false sense of consideration for the other, to try to make the other happy and not allow the other to be envious of you, keeps you crippled, keeps you hiding your light under a bushel, keeps you failing to grow to your full potential. So we must give up that consideration for others in which we destroy what is best within ourselves. We repress it. We don't live our true nature out of fear of being rejected by the other or ridiculed or making the other feel bad. The truth is you can't make anyone feel bad and you can't make anyone feel good. Our job is not to make other people happy. Happiness only comes from God. What we can do is be a role model of one who is in happiness. And the happiness comes from the pure realization of the God self. That is the best gift we can give to others. Not to hide that God self because someone else is in ignorance and is in sorrow and therefore I can't feel it. If I feel bliss when somebody else is suffering, what a terrible thing that they'll feel bad. No, that's what will get them out of the trap. Otherwise, you're colluding with the falseness of the ego instead of showing the truth of the real self. That's the bad habit that masquerades as a good habit that keeps us trapped in a false form of ethics. And so it's a mistake to think that the virtue of the Buddha is that of being compassionate. There's all this talk about the compassionate Buddha. That's not true at all. The Buddha had no compassion. What the Buddha had was dispassion. He could leave his wife and newborn son and go out to the woods and didn't care. He left the throne. He didn't care about the kingdom's welfare. No, he was totally dispassionate. But the dispassion itself was the ultimate form of compassion. But if your compassion doesn't come out of dispassion, then it will be collusion. And the word compassion means to suffer with another. But that's exactly what we must not do. We must teach others that all suffering is illusion. Don't suffer with them. Show them that there's no need to suffer at all by being one who is beyond suffering. And so it's this enmeshment and codependence with others that cripples us. And we don't lead our own true lives because what will the other think? What if I do what Buddha did and leave 
my family, my children, even if they're adults and grown, I still can't leave them because that would be inconsiderate, right? All of these nonsensical ideas that keep you from living a true life and following the real pilgrimage up the mountain of God to the ultimate truth of your being. And if you don't do that at the end of your life, that you've sacrificed for the good feelings of other people, you'll realize you failed yourself and you failed God. Don't try to make others happy at your expense because the loss of your unhappiness will only make them ultimately more unhappy. But what the ego does, it plays ping pong with the other. It's better than the Chinese at ping pong. And they win all the gold medals at the Olympics. But the ego is far better than any Chinese player. And the ball that is mostly used is guilt. I'll make you guilty, you make me guilty. Wham. And the best way to make somebody guilty is that you hurt yourself. And they're responsible and they know it. And then, ah, they have to make amends to you. It's a brilliant game. It's a slam that always wins the point. But then you get slammed back the next serve and you find yourself having to feel bad that you made the other guilty. And then the guilt ball is traded in for an anger ball. And why did I fall into that? And I hate you for making me feel guilty. And another ping pong game. And it always starts out out of consideration for the other. And it always turns into a guilt match that ends in the massive suffering and symptoms of both parties and a depression contest and an anxiety contest and then a hate contest. And so non-duality is the refusal to play ping pong with the other. To live your life and let the other be free to live theirs. Don't pull them down, but don't think you can pull them up either. You have to go up and then show them the path is easy. Anyone can do it. We're all children of God. We all have the God self within. It's not hard at all. What's hard is giving up the addiction to that ping pong game. Because we love to make points in that game. We want a gold medal in suffering. And the only way out of that game is to be in the non-duality of the self that is completely unconsiderate and uncaring about how others react to you. You follow the path of truth and you are immovable in that truth that is dispassionate and yet that is radiant with the love of God. But recognizing that you're not here to be the God for other people, you are here to see the God in them and they must, each of us must awaken to our own God self. That's our primal responsibility and that's what we should have learned in our education and what we must learn now if we haven't learned it before or we will never come out of dukkha, out of suffering, out of ego pathology. 
We'll always have our minds colonized by some superego voice that tells us we're bad, we shouldn't show our greatness, we must hide, we mustn't develop our minds and our hearts and our creativity because others will then feel bad that they're lesser and we hold ourselves down. And by doing that, we hold down the kingdom of heaven itself. It's time to let go. Oh, this is the original sin of the ego, and it masquerades as a virtue, and it blocks us from living in the bliss of the God-Self. Does this make sense to people? Yes. So tonight, free yourself from compassion. Free yourself from suffering. Free yourself from the belief in suffering or that you need to suffer so the other doesn't because you just have two people suffering. You never stop the other person suffering. You have a fantasy, oh, I'll take it from them, but no. You just add one more person who then needs to be saved by someone else. And we have a world of walking wounded because of that. So free yourself. Don't wait for someone else to do it. You don't need a healer. You need to be your own healer. Heal yourself of your own ego. That's the disease. And then you will realize your perfection and the infinite creative power that will emerge from you when you're not afraid either of shining or of being attacked for shining and therefore you have stage fright and performance anxiety and you evade and hide and don't reveal how wonderful you are even to yourself and you sabotage yourself from living a life that is far more beautiful than you could even imagine because your imagination itself has been crippled by the belief that you have to stop yourself from being too great. It is our duty, our one major duty, to dissolve that false belief. Because until that is done, nothing else can happen. As soon as you get even close to bliss or liberation, you'll say, oh no, I can't do that. What would my mother think? I'll go beyond her and then she'll be very unhappy. No, we must not let anything stop us from the attainment of the infinite self. And then we will be considerate of others, but we will be considerate without colluding because we will be coming from a place of love that doesn't have a repressed hatred because we hate ourselves and that that will then come out because we haven't blocked ourselves from our true potential. So once we have settled this, nearly all of our karma will dissolve because it's all attached to this primal complex of self-limitation. 
So tonight let us liberate ourselves from considerateness that's based on the ego and consider only the God-Self and the natural expression of that God-Self as joy and bliss and peace and silence and pure presence that needs nothing, is beyond desire, is beyond fear, is beyond all egoic impulses. And live in that silent, peaceful love until all residue of sadness or anxiety is completely evaporated. There's a, a little book by Adi Shankara. It's one of the smaller books that he wrote called uh, Drik Drishya Viveka. It's a very powerful book, and Sri Ramana talks about it a lot. And he's got a metaphor in this book of an iron ball. He says, this iron ball is your ego. It is heavy with all of this negativity and guilt and hatred and anger and all of that. And only when you put it into the fire of Shiva will it begin to transform. And when it gets hot, then the heat within the ball you could consider your soul. And the heat has a little separation from the iron ball. But if it's not hot enough to start transforming the iron ball, then it won't have any ultimate effect. So the heat has to be so powerful that it becomes as white hot as the fire itself. And then it transforms from soul to Atman. Because the Atman is in resonance with the Brahman, with the Shiva. And then ultimately the fire in the iron ball realizes that it is the fire that is heating it up. And it transcends its identification with the ball and the ball dissolves in the flame forever. And then we are liberated. So let's make that iron ball of the ego so hot with the power of the God-Self that it completely dissolves in the flame and is gone forever. And we are free in the white heat of our creative potential in full blast full bliss full divine love let's meditate